Hey guys, welcome to Wednesday's edition of the Footy Social Club podcast. Another busy week of Premier League football. Not many shock results, but certainly there are a few managers now beginning to be under pressure as we get through the fixtures. Um, I'll quickly reel those off before I let you know who I've got in the studio with me today. So um, opening game of the weekend, Wolves lost at home 3-1 to Liverpool. Villa beat Palace 3-1, Fulham won 1-0 at home to Luton. United, and we'll be talking about Eric Ten Hag in a moment, they lost 3-1 at home to Brighton and Hove Albion. Spurs, deep into injury time, secured a 2-1 win at home to Sheffield United. Man City fought back from a 1-0 from down to beat West Ham 3-1. Newcastle, 1-0 at home to Brentford. Bournemouth held Chelsea 0-0. Is Maurizio Pochettino a myth, like I said earlier in the season? Everton lost 1-0 at home to Arsenal. Arsenal's first win there post Arsene Wenger. Um, and on the Monday night game, Forrest and Burnley played out a 1-1 draw, giving Burnley their first points of the season. Um, as I just said during that, I want to talk about Eric Ten Hag. Uh, maybe he's the myth of Premier League managers or just not good enough. Um, Ryan, welcome back to the studio. Good to have you back in here. Um, Eric Ten Hag, writing on the wall for the uh, Manchester United manager. Where do I start with Eric Ten Hag? Um, he needs to stop complaining. It, I saw he's come out today and say he's not had a, a fully fit squad since he started. Is that why they're getting beat by Brighton? I don't <laughs> think so. Um, you no. said there were no shock results over the weekend. I don't think any of us were shocked that Brighton got a result at United. I think we all tipped at least a draw, if not a, an away win. I'm, I've called him a myth. I think he's more of a myth than than Poch at the moment. He won in he won in in Holland with Ajax with one of the best teams. Didn't do any, he won he won a league title and he's bought Anthony for ninety million. He's bought Mount for sixty million. Spent a lot of money and still complains that his team's not good enough. And their behaviour off the pitch as well as on the pitch is diabolical. So. The Glazers are definitely at fault, but he also needs to take a bit of the blame as well. I'd be interested to hear what our resident United fan is, uh, has got to say about him. Yeah, go on, Matt. I, I'm definitely interested. You've been heavily critical of, of Manchester United this season. You, you've certainly held no punches. Um, another nail in the coffin of the, the Dutch manager? I don't think so. No, I, I, I strongly disagree that he's a myth like like Potches, you, you kind of downplay him winning, you know, the, the, the trophies he did in the Dutch league. Kind of don't care what, what you say about that. You know, it's still winning trophies, which as far as I know, Poch has never won a trophy, has he? Has he? Something in France, maybe? Well, in France, yeah. Yeah, well, your fucking Farmers League, doesn't matter, does it? I could win <laughs> a trophy with PSG. Look, I don't think the blame lays at Ten Hag's feet. I've said this before, United have not got an identity anymore. Since Ferguson left, it's just been a downward spiral of the board bringing in managers, trying to paper over the problems, and it's not working. And you look at, there was an interview with Rio Ferdinand where he talks about when David Moyes came in just after Ferguson. And he said up until that point, United never talked about the opposition. It was always, right, we're going to play the United way and we're going to win this game. As soon as David Moyes came in, the dressing room chat from the manager completely changed. And it's like, oh, we have to worry about this player and we have to worry about that player. And it was just baffling to the United team that were in there. 
And I think that has carried on from manager to manager to manager. The current culture of United, I think, falls at Solskjaer's feet because it was a mess towards the end of his kind of reign with what players were getting away with. Ten Hag is currently cleaning house, and that takes a bit of time. And I think he needs to be given the time. And we have to remember that Ferguson, I think it was four years before he won a trophy at United. I think it was five or maybe six before he won a Premier League. And there were so many calls for Ferguson to be sacked. Well, thank God we didn't sack him. And I think Ten Hag should be given that same time because I think if we just bring in another manager, it's just trying to paper over the cracks that, that are there and they're just going to get bigger. So I don't think he's a myth. I don't think the blame falls at his feet necessarily. I am worried about our transfer policy over the last 11 years, but that's for a whole other video. <laughs> Do you not think he's partially to blame, though? I, I, in I, I get, what, I, in I, what I, way? I, the noises that he makes coming out of the club are not great when he's coming up with excuses of he's not had his first 11. Yeah. That's on him. That is partially on him. I, I, see, I see problems in United structure. They don't have, from what I know, they don't have a director of football, somebody who's actually the football guy as opposed to a glazier. That's, that's clearly having an impact on the club. So it's not a full Eric Ten Hag thing. But when you've got him coming out, making excuses, there's negative talk. That's surely going to feed into the squad and how they play, their style of play is also down to him. Yes. That, yeah. that's, where I, that's where I put, maybe myth is too strong a word, but that's where I put the blame on him because yeah. it, that stems from the manager. That's not a Glazier thing. And the easy thing to do is to blame the Glaziers. It, it, it is the easy thing to do. And you're right. You know, Ten Hag's style of play as far as I can see, has always been this 4-3-3, maybe kind of more of a, a fluid 4-2-3-1. But the, the trouble is United haven't at the moment got the players to fulfil how he wants to play. And that's where the issues for us kind of come up. I think Why our transfer that? policy, even under what? him, has been terrible. Managers complain about shit all the time. You look at Jurgen Klopp. I think he was complaining, saying, oh, it's really difficult for, you know, to have an early kickoff after an international break. Like, shut up. Like what? So if you played two hours later at three o'clock or whatever it is, you'd have been fine. It's ridiculous. United uh, managers complain about stuff all the time and it's mind games and they've been doing it for years. I don't mind him doing that. I kind of don't mind him calling players out like Jaden Sancho. You know, if they're, if they're not fulfilling their potential, they're not putting the work in, if they're sodding off to New York to party when they should be training, yeah, call them out because the likes of Sancho is on 350,000 uh, 350, a week. He should be so dedicated to that club and into improving his game. And if he's not, there's only so much Ten Hag can do. Ten Hag should be given the time and he should be given this season and even next season to sort these issues out and then make a call on it. Yeah. Very strong points there, boys. Very, very interesting to listen to. Um, Gaz, there was something you wanted to say. Um, go on, mate. What do you want to yeah, say about yeah. United and Ten Hag? Yeah, I don't know. I just think, I think exactly. I think he's run his course, Matt. I'm sorry. Uh, at the end of the day is some managers, I mean, you've got to look at it this way, right? Like Tottenham's just got big hands, changed completely. He's been there two minutes. You had Deserby, uh, who's been at Brighton literally two minutes, changed changed them, but much better. Um, look at even um, Emery at Villa, went into Villa, changed Villa instantly. That's what United need. United need someone like that. And it's not as if they haven't spent the money either. They've got the money to do it as well. It's just they've got poor recruitment. And obviously, I think you need you need some. I think sometimes you know these managers, 
they get too much they get too much time. And I think sometimes you've got to think, well, actually, it's just probably a, a you know a, a busted flush. I think I think he's gone. I reckon he'll be gone. I I, I really do. I think uh, I think him and I think him and um, Daish are up the battle. They're the battle for who goes first. But uh, him and Daish, they're mm. they're literally rocking. They're rocking and rolling soon. Steve, I am going to come to you in one second. I, ju- I just want to say that the one thing that would worry me from a Manchester United point of view is the fans seem to have turned slightly on Ten Hag. There was booze with the Hoyland's um, substitution at the weekend. That wasn't a full-strength Brighton team. I, I, granted, it wasn't a full-strength Man United team either. But Steve, Eric Ten Hag, um, is, he the, is he the man in the hot seat for, for the sack? Or do you sort of agree with Matthew that, he needs to be given more time to, to you know, stamp his authority. I'm going to tell you one thing now, that until Man United get their structure right behind the scenes, it doesn't matter if you put Mourinho or Klopp or Pep Guardiola or whoever you want to put in charge of that squad, they won't do any good and they won't win the league. There's no two ways about it. They need to get structure within the club. And I'm talking about medical teams, I'm talking about the proper coaches, I'm talking about nutrition. The Glazers have run that club into the ground. And the sooner people realise that, you can have any manager you want go in there and they'll struggle. You know, look at the signings they've made. They, they, they seem to go from one thing to another. They The recruitment's awful. It's awful overall. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, he's trying stuff. He's trying a diamond on Saturday against Brighton. You know, that's not how they normally play. He's just trying stuff to try and get players into this team. It's until they get the structure right, it's never going to change. Never. The structure comes from a manager, though, you know, getting the right guy in. Gaz, you spoke about Deserby. Deserby's got structure behind him. He's got. Correct. It doesn't matter who they put in there, he's got that structure at Brighton behind him. Man United haven't got that. They've not had that for years. Elaborate on structure then. Because Tottenham was busted. Go and watch the uh, Brighton podcast, mate. It will tell you all about the structure of Brighton, the plug, <laughs> and, the plug and play model. Talk about the structure at Spurs. Talk about, you know, the change of that. At the end of the day, like, tram- managers transform clubs. Gaz. They do, but they need thing. the right infrastructure behind them. The, their infrastructure at Tottenham is very good. And the one thing that Levy is very good at is getting that right. You've got the best training ground in the world with the facilities and everything. Have you not got that? Have they? No. They've got to spend the money on players. Yeah, but I think the point that everyone's sort of trying to make there, Gaz, is that now actually the overall structure of a football club is almost the most important aspect of the football club. Now, you know, I don't want to talk about Arsenal. Arsenal are not important in this, but it wasn't so long ago we had Raul Sanyehi in charge of Arsenal um, from a from a director of football perspective, buying players like Pepe and whatever else that have all failed. Arsenal changed their structure with Edu and Arteta working very closely, you know, with with one board member, and it, it changed Arsenal dramatically. The transfer policy and everything else. I, I reference Brighton as well. Brighton are an unbelievable club with what they do and how they do it. They can afford to lose their manager because they plug the next one in. And as I said, there is a podcast all about that. It's almost the same. Manchester City's structure is incredible at what they do. And Manchester United have had elite managers over the last 10 years, the likes of Mourinho and whatever else. And none of them really have been able to restore Man United to their glory 
And Steve's probably right. The buck stops with the Glazers because they have run it into the ground. And the the way the club's being run, it's, it's rudderless. It's rudderless. So actually, is Eric Ten Hag, regardless of the money you talk about for players, actually getting the support he needs from an overall perspective? And, and the answer to that is probably no. I think the players at Man United, I think what you look at, you look at Man United's team and yeah, the main big mistake they probably had is not going for Kane uh, and they would have been challenging. We have all said Man United's team is strong enough to challenge, to challenge, to, to put a bit of an effort in if Kane would have been there. If Kane, if they decided to put the money out, spent the money for Kane and they would have tried, they'd have got him, everyone would have said United's team there now, whoa, look out for United, they, they're going to pull a, pull a challenge in. But they didn't get him. They got this heart, this um, Hoyland, whatever his name is. They got this Hoyland in. And uh, but the team itself, you look at the team, they got plenty of good players in that side. And there's plenty of money going through that side as well. So I I, I mean, yes, they're not going to win the league, but as a top four team, they should be they should be they're way underachieving. I yeah, but they're trying to win the league. They won they, they finished top four last season. And I think it comes I purely think it comes down to Ten Hag. Uh he ain't good enough. That's, that's, how, that's rubbish. how can you say in, in one breath we would have been challenging if we had Kane with Ten Hag still in charge and in the next saying Ten Hag's not good enough and he needs to go and United are shit that's, I think that's ridiculous saying that we would have been challenging if we had Kane our problems are far deeper you made a, a, a joke in a previous podcast about Burnley needing a whole new spine United need a whole new spine skeleton, yeah. arms, legs, everything <laughs> We are. We've we've got players like Varane who. You do. I mean, he needs a fucking new spine. He's injured every week. You've got players like Ericsson. None of the top clubs wanted Ericsson. Yes, he's sometimes good on the ball, but off the ball he does nothing. Casemiro, the old man of United now, his legs are going absolutely shocking. You know, you've got Sancho who, you know, he just wants to be partying wherever he is instead of playing for United. We've got one player out on dodgy allegations. Another one in Getafe on allegations. Our whole team is an absolute mess. Kane was not going to be a silver bullet that would have that would have helped us. It needs to be a whole new structure. I cannot think right now of one United player that would make a Premier League best eleven this season. They wouldn't get in um, there, not one. And that's United. shocking because it's it's United. Rashford, no, shut up. There's better players than Rashford at the moment. No, I agree no with you. Chance. But the one thing we have to the one thing we have to look at is you finished top four last season. In a you poor got to an FA Cup final and you won a League Cup. So I, I sort of see where Gaz is coming, that maybe if you'd have got Kane, yeah. there's a progression and you sort of think you're moving no. forward. It, no, moving forward, I'm not saying you're going to win the league because I don't think you were anywhere no. near Man City. But the drop-off drop this season is major. And I know we're only four or five games in, but it's not even so much the results. The performances are awful. Yeah. So... Yeah. Like that, look, I guess that that's what I'm trying to understand is, and that is that not manager. Ten Hag's? Is that not Ten Hag's fault because all of this infrastructure yes, right. issue, all of these infrastructure issues were there last season, and I appreciate that can impact him. Fans booing the substitution of Hoyland—that's ridiculous because I'm sure the medical staff probably said, "Run your run your arse off for an hour, and we're going to take you off." Like I'm sure that happened, but the drop off in performance has got to be worrying. And that's where I think the buck stops with Ten Hag because he's Minimum. responsible for getting the, the performances out of the players that he got last season with the same issues. On the game, obviously, it was woeful from Man United. But, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Brighton in the last few weeks. And 
you know what? Long may it continue from Brighton because it is fantastic to see a club. And I don't mean this disrespectfully, but they're punching above their weight in terms of, you know, what the value of the players, I think, that was in, that was on it, that first of 18, 18 million pounds <laughs> for their entire first 11. Yeah, they rested players at United away yeah, and won. Yeah. I mean, that is unbelievable. Danny Welbeck goes back and scores yet again against his old club. At least he celebrated this time as well. But, you know, they are doing something phenomenal and other clubs need to wake up and look at what they're doing because they are brilliant at basically picking players that go into a style that suit that club and Manchester United and you know the board and everyone else should be wanting to sit down and take Brighton out for lunch and understand their model because you know that's what United need to be doing that's what United need to be doing not not a scattergun approach of buying this player or that player and trying to buy elite players that will hopefully make them better because it's, it's, that's proven it doesn't even work. You know, even the butcher at the back was shocking again at the weekend. Martinez gets away with murder. As a centre defender, he's terrible. He's terrible. No, 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 no. He's <laughs> terrible. Martinez is not, no, ridiculous. No, you sound like Carragher. Absolute <laughs> joke. He's not, he's not terrible. But I will say our defence against Brighton, and this is not taking anything away from Brighton because they played phenomenally against us. But watching our defence when Brighton were attacking, it was like, I remember when my son, William, when he was six years old and started playing for a team. And at six years old, all the players do is just like buzz around the football. They just chase the football around the pitch like, like swarming. That's what our defence did. You saw the gaps. If, if Brighton were attacking down the left, all of our defenders were just coming over to the left, leaving massive gaps for Brighton to attack. That's awful. But then it's not exactly a world-class defence overall, is it? You, you had Dallow on the, on the right, you had Regulon on the left, and you had Martinez and Lindelof in the centre. Regulon. Absolutely. Look, I don't, I can't, you can't lay the blame at, at Martinez, though. I don't think you can. No, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, well, look, Man United sagas you know, may continue this week. They've got Champions League, Bayern Munich and whatever else before, obviously, returning back to Premier League action at the weekend. Um, the next major club or big six club or big seven, whatever it is now, it seems to get bigger every week. Well, they are a big six club. They've won the Champions League. Where did they finish last season? 12th. And they might finish 12th again this year. Um, Chelsea, Steve, we put a podcast out specifically focusing on Chelsea and, and and for those that haven't listened to it, it's out on YouTube. Well worth a listen. Um, Steve, Chelsea on another day might have nicked a win um, with Sterling's free kick going over the line. Obviously, it didn't, but big issues. But you're you've, you're somewhat sympathetic to Pochettino and the injuries that he's got and a few other things at the club. Yeah, I think I think you almost you could almost make say the car have a carbon conversation, same carbon conversation as you have about United. Again, the infrastructure isn't there at Chelsea, and I don't care what anybody says; it's not. You know, end of the day, they might have spent one billion pounds on 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 players. They need to get the infrastructure right behind the scenes. And again, sport and directors, you know, all that sort of stuff, they're important to the club. They run the football side and let the manager or coach or whatever you want to call him go and do his job. I'm not convinced that either of the two clubs we're talking about have got that in place. So. What do they expect to happen? You can throw as many players as you want at it. And like I say, I mean, I think Potts will get time. I think that the Chelsea fans seem to be quite patient at the minute. At the end of the day, they, 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 you know, they've not been boo booing from what I've heard. They've not been, you know, 
yes, they've not had a great start this season. They've had a terrible 2023, in all honesty. You know, yeah. they've, 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 won, they've won, I think, seven games in 34 games. And that includes, yeah, wow. a Carling, that includes a Carabao Cup win against AFC Wimbledon. You know, yeah, wow. they've, they've beaten Leicester, Luton and, um, and Leeds. You know, when you actually look at the teams they've beaten, they've beaten nobody, beaten absolutely yeah. nobody. So for a club like Chelsea, that is, that's, that's despicable, really. You know, it's not Chelsea. It's not a Chelsea no, club that we know. No, it's not. That's all one man's fault, though, as well, isn't it? Like, they had the infrastructure and Bowley got rid of them all. Yeah. Inexplicably. Completely. Like at least, like yeah. there's just no excuse. I do, I do agree. Like I know you, you're not a big lover of Poch at all. I think he, de- I think he deserves time. My my Ten Hag thing about getting him out, I still think he deserves time. Any decent club, you, you know, got rid of Arteta, and then look at what happened last season. You know, it can take time. It, and it, Chelsea are a massive rebuild. They're huge. Apart from a few clubs, it's. Fine margins is what you're looking at. I mean, why do you think that these Olympians and stuff, and, and you know, the, the British cycling team did all that stuff whereby they took mattresses and beds away so they were all sleeping on the same mattress that they'd got at home? And all, you know, why do you think t- they did that? You've got to have the infrastructure then. I don't understand when you're in a multi billion pound league that you're basically treating it like you're like they're a the dog and duck. I don't understand it. It's Chelsea it couldn't it's find a, a hotel big enough, mate, to put them all on the same bed. It, it, just, it, just, it baffles me. It baffles me because, you know, this man has made a lot of money. You know, a lot, a lot of money. So he must be good at what he does in business, but he ain't no football person. No, and he shouldn't have got rid of those so quickly that have been involved in that club that oversaw so much success over the last sort of 15 odd years. Matt, how do you compare it, you know, your club's in disarray. How do you look at it from a Chelsea point of view? Do you see similarities or do you see it completely different? I think I'd probably be happier being a, a Chelsea fan at the moment because it's, it's early days for Poch. Yes, he's got a lot of players out injured and there's a discussion on that side of things as well as to why so many players are out injured. Um, we know that uh, Chalaba's, um personal trainer kind of put stuff on Twitter about their training regime and, and that sort of thing that needs to change behind the scenes at Chelsea. But you've got to remember, Todd Bowley's come in, he seemed to back Potter for far too long and spent money there. Potter's got to make a lot of changes. He's trying to do that without his full squad at the moment, and that's going to take time. And I think Poch needs at least a season. He needs at least the backing that, that, you know, that Potter had to see where the, the changes come in. You know, we've got to think, when... Um, when the, when the Abu Dhabi owners went in at City, it took them four years to, to kind of win anything. I think under Mancini, they won a, their first Premier League title. It took, took a long time. And I think Poch, again, should be given that time. It's just far too early to be calling him a myth. Well, I think he is a myth, and I think I'll be proven <laughs> right on that. It's not because he's past Tottenham or anything like that. And he did a very good job at Southampton. But, you know, it, Tottenham... I give Gaz his due. Tottenham are, are a big club. They are a big club, and they should have won a trophy by now. And he had opportunities. They bottled it um, at various. I did. They bottled the league. They should have won the league under Pochettino. And I'm not like being stupid there. Tottenham should have won the league. Gaz nods there. He, he acknowledges that, that Tottenham were in a position to win that league. No different to Arsenal last season. Should have won the league. They yeah, bottled it. Bottle it. He did. They did. Spurs bottled it. 
they bottled that season oh, and that's Leicester won it. That 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 sits with that sits with Pochettino for me. Um, Tottenham was, was never top of the league. Leicester was top no, of the league all the way through. Tottenham didn't. They'd never win at Disagree. Chelsea. They never win at Chelsea either. Poch, Poch is a myth. The the, <laughs> the sympathy with that I have for Pochettino is that I think he's the owner being Bowley is basically like a in a saloon bar in the Midwest of America, firing bullets here, there and everywhere. And that's him buying players, you know, the likes of Cole Palmer coming, never even spoke to the manager, Potch out in his press conference on that Friday after the window shuts, didn't even know they were signing him. Well, how do you have any fluidity in a club? If you don't even know the players that are coming in, we raised it in the podcast with, you know, with Steve, you know, how many of the players that came in in the summer did Pochettino even know about, let alone want. And, and that's, that's the point. And he's got, Pressures with the likes of Mudrick, who looks like, as Gaz said earlier, like a busted flush. You know, Mudrick's struggling massive. He's got a lot of players with no confidence. Jackson's another one. He's got huge injuries, and Cuckoo would make, probably make a difference going forward, you know, and whatever else. But, I mean, the problem is Chelsea are a team that was so used to seeing successful and buying players from other huge clubs globally and kicking on. If they have one bad season, the next year they win the league. They did that, you know. This year, no, no joke, not being stupid, they could finish 12th again this year, you know. Yeah. And if they finish 12th again, then if you sack Potter for sitting in that position, then you should probably be getting rid of Pochettino as well. Controversial as that may be, if you have that much so-called talent at your door, and I question that talent, but that much talent at your disposal, then he should probably go and you move on to the next one. Go back to the Chelsea policy that worked for so many years. I don't think, but they don't have that talent. They've got potential. When we're talking about the, as I think I mentioned it before, when they sacked Hiddink, they sacked um, Di Matteo, they, they sacked Conte, uh, Conte. They, they sacked all these managers, but they had John Terry, Frank Lampard, a striker up front. They had World, World Cup winners or Champions League winners throughout their squad. They don't have that anymore. Yeah. They've got a lot of young players that probably need direction. And if you look at a manager who's got a proven track record of going into a club that is bloated, it, it, I think, if I'm right in saying, he played a guy in one of the um, friendlies. And when the when he was quoted about who this player is, he Malang, didn't even remember it. Malang Sar, yeah. Like, that's how big their yeah. squad, that's how bloated their squad is. But if you've got the right guy who's been at Southampton, been at Tottenham, and can bring players to the next level. That's what Chelsea need right now. That's where I think the patience needs to come in because he's got a track record of doing that. Otherwise... They got five points from their first yeah, five I'm not, games. I'm, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that their their performances and their points return has been anywhere near good enough. But at the same time, we are only five games into the season and people need to remember that. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I, I think there will be like, some, of the, some of them games. I mean, and Steve will say, uh, back me up on this one. When we was watching um, Liverpool, uh, Chelsea against Liverpool, we was all saying how good Chelsea were playing. Um, yeah, then they destroyed Luton, albeit everyone destroys Luton. The West Ham game, they was very unlucky that first half. They should have been way ahead, and then obviously ended up, um, you know, losing to West Ham. They've only really had one bad game in Forest, I think. Um, you know, with that, you know, one 0 at Forest at home. I know they drew Bournemouth weekend, but draw Bournemouth no pushovers the way they play. Um, Bournemouth are going to cause problems, people problems this year, for sure. Um, and I think Chelsea, I think they'll be fine. Is it then? The fact that they've got a price tag of spending a billion pounds causing them the bigger issue then? Yeah, I think, of course, you know, 
the end of the day, he's, he's building a he's building a structure there. He's building team, you know, young a lot of young players there. He's building, albeit he's spending a lot of money, and because he's spending loads and loads of money, I think that's the the tag. You are right that that that, that he's going to be labelled with. But trust me, Pochettino will get it right there, and Chelsea will be a force. That's for sure. There's just there is just no two ways right. about it. The problem is they keep buying from Brighton as well. So every time, every time Brighton get a phone call, it's like fifty percent extra tax because yeah. it's Chelsea paying. Everyone like, that buys from Brighton, they're the, they giving some Brighton like something like three hundred million or two hundred million. Yeah. So that's part of like the billion the billion pounds thing. Sounds a hell of a lot of money. They've brought in about three hundred or four hundred as well. So yeah, they have recruited money back in as well. All right, that's Ten Hag and you know Man United. Poch and Chelsea covered as always in the pod. And it's somewhat depressing that we have to keep talking about them. The men in the middle and, and the ones back at Stockley park trying to play PlayStation five and never picked up a controller in their life. More contentious refereeing decisions at the weekend. Um, I'll start at Villa park. Um, I think Ryan, I'm right in saying you want to compliment the penalty that should never have been given. Um, in a nutshell, quickly talk us through what happens there. Um, it's 1-1 it's one, one at the time, that's correct? Yeah, so one all, 92nd minute. It, it wasn't a stonewall penalty, and if it had been given against Filler, I'd have been upset. The thing is, he's given the penalty, and he goes over to a VAR monitor and spends five minutes looking at his decision. The thing I commended him on is he's stuck with this decision. I think it's only the second time that it's happened. VAR was meant to be brought in to prove that there's been a clear and obvious error. Anybody who spends five minutes watching a tip, a five-second video, over and over and over again, has clearly not made an, an obvious error. So what is going on behind the scenes? The standard of refereeing throughout the game was actually horrific. It wasn't a dirty game, and there were yellow cards being handed out left, right, and centre. But for me, I was glad that the referees finally showed the balls to actually say... I don't agree with you. There's no, there's not enough evidence to overturn my decision. I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, I, for me, it wasn't a penalty, but I, 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 you know, well done to him for standing by his decision. Steve, what did you think of this one? I, I didn't think it was ever a, in your world a penalty, but I do <laughs> agree with Ryan that he actually had got the balls to, to to stay with his decision. Although, to me, if you've got to look at it for that long there's got to be some doubt in your mind as to whether you've made the right decision in the first place. So should you have been overturned? You know, that's, 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 that's the problem. Um, there was never a penalty, never ever should have been given as a penalty. He's given her. And I suppose that because he's given her, you've got to keep with the original decision because that's what he's given. That's what he's given. If you can't see enough evidence to overturn it. But if it had been overturned, I don't think many Villa fans would have been up in arms about it. I think it would have been the other way. If it hadn't have been given in the first place, I don't actually think it would have went to VAR. Or if it had have, it would have been a five-second yeah, decision. Yeah, yeah. I think that I would agree on that side. You're saying there's not a penalty. He tries, to, he tries to get the ball originally and misses it and then flicks it second time after he's already going through Ollie Watkins. That's why I think there was such a delay in whether or not he should stick with his decision. The it's, problem it's, is it takes five minutes to do it. And it's like, are you, have you made an error or not? Yes or no? Yeah, it shouldn't be that difficult. It shouldn't be that. Matt, go on. What what was your view on it? I mean, look, for me, a hundred a hundred percent not a penalty. What what has he given it for? That's my question. Because if you look at like the laws of the him. game and, and the laws for fouls, what what was it for? 
He went through him. He didn't touch the ball when he first went. If that's anywhere else in the pitch, it's a free kick. So why is it not in the box? I don't, was I don't think if that if is... If it was given anyone, against us, no. I, don't get me wrong, if it was given against us, I would not have been happy. But I'm not going to sit here and say it's 100%. It was a soft penalty. My problem <laughs> is, why is it taking so long to say, yes, it's a pen? Look, I, I think it comes back... I, I agree with your point that he stuck to his guns, and that's good. It was Darren England, wasn't it? The the ref. I think, I so. think yeah, it was, yeah, it was really it. It good was. that he stuck to his guns. He shouldn't have taken you know five minutes to to decide that. He saw what he thought was a penalty, and he stuck to that. And I think that's good. And we need more of that. We need to take some of the power out out of VAR's hands. For me, if that was a challenge in the first five or ten minutes of the game in the centre of a pitch, no free kick would have been given because I don't think there was an infringement, and that's the issue. I think with VAR. If a decision is made like that and he has to go and look at VAR, they should use what they do in the NFL where the refs you know, look at stuff and then they, they say why they have made that decision. Like in the NFL, whether it's kind of you know, offensive holding or something like that, they should say why they've given it. Because I don't, I don't think there was an infringement there. And I'd be really keen to see why Darren England has said that there was an infringement because I, I think it was nonsense, not a penalty. And the only way that would be a penalty is if it was in a United game and if it was in United's favour. <laughs> like Rashford diving <laughs> earlier in the season against Forest. VAR does not help the big clubs. That ball against Brighton <laughs> was definitely on the pitch and that shouldn't have been wolves. given as, as out yeah, the pitch. Wolves, I mean, about the Wolves game. Yeah, ten, ten Hag moans about all these decisions going against him. I mean, Onana would have got, you know, be in prison by now for assault after yeah. the Wolves one. So, you know, uh, you've definitely had your fair share of, of, of wins on it. Um, we'll move on. Anthony Gordon, and I saw... Uh, Thomas Frank on, I think it was Monday Night Football or Tuesday Night Football on Sky, talking about um, talking about the decision. Look, I don't rate Flecken as a goalkeeper, but you know Anthony Gordon has played for me this perfectly. The ball's going out of play. He brings on the contact with the goalkeeper, falls to the ground, you know, under contact. Steve, how did you see this one? Never ever in your life is it a penalty. It, how there's surely there's got to be some context to the fact of how does he play the ball when it's nearly at the when it's nearly at the advertising boards? You know, in the day you, he, he can he can go in and, and and roll over the keeper, but where is the ball at this point? And when you look at it, it's about three or four yards behind the touchline. Never in your life was that a penalty. And and for Craig Paulson to give it. It's just pathetic. And this is what I talk about referees and, and, and the way they go on. That is completely not understanding the game. He doesn't yeah. understand the football game because, like I say, Anthony Gordon's never getting it. He's gone past Flecken and then he's run into him and, and sort of rolled over him. It's yeah. it, just a terrible, terrible decision. I thought the turning point was when Gordon turns his body almost towards the goalkeeper to sort of insinuate that the contact's going to come. Like He's like he's shielding the ball, but the ball's running out of play if he does that. That, that yeah. He's not in control of the ball. And he's turned himself to bring on that contact. with the. He actually steps towards the keeper, which yeah. out on the pitch, if you, know, you see a right back trying to defend against a left winger to get a throw in or something, they do that. That's defending the ball. I get that. But he, doesn't, he does that in the box. The, keeper, the keeper's gone to ground. He's out of control of his body in a sense. But he brings on the contact. I agree 100%. Like Newcastle get away with one and help Eddie Howe out massively. Um, 
it's but again here we are again like it's the referees and are ruining the game mike dean was saying that var's here to stay I'd, I'd almost i'd like to say can we try it for a month without it just to see whether it makes any difference like we'd probably be moaning because there'd be goals not given or red cards or whatever it is but every it's, it's almost it's tiring like and players play up to it now and you you know the game's almost becoming like basketball there's no, there's no touching you can't do anything anymore like it's frustrating. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Part of the problem is as well, they're watching it in slow motion. Yes. So play the thing in full speed. Get, yeah. Actually get, have some context to, if there's contact, for example, that, it was, it, well, that wasn't a penalty. And I'm sorry, guys, to bring this up. Harry Kane did exactly the same thing at Villa Park last year when we beat him, last season when we beat him 2-1. Yeah. He turns into the he turns into Martinez, there's contact, but it's initiated by him. The ball's gone out of play. Yeah. Like, it's common sense. And sometimes I do wonder what on earth these referees are meant to be trained professionals who understand the game of football and the decisions they're given, you wouldn't see in a, in a park on a Sunday. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, the standard of refereeing has never been worse in the Premier League. In my opinion. Never, Absolutely. never been worse. Yeah. Mike, Mike Dean said that as well. If you haven't watched it, his interview with Simon Jordan, I highly yeah. recommend it. And yeah. he said, referees, are relying on VAR because it's there to get them out of trouble. Yeah, they've stopped refing the game. They have. They've stopped refing the game, and that is a massive worry. And Howard Webb really does have a battle on his hands. Um, I, you know, I, I'd be even be open to trying some refs from lower divisions. I think the, the current crop are just not good enough as referees. There was um, late drama at Tottenham on Saturday. Um, red cards and late goals and was it Richarlison finally scored a goal and it was important and he looked like he was going to cry. Maybe he's had some counselling and he's feeling a little bit better already for him. Fingers crossed. We saw Gaz with his top off, didn't we? Yeah, whenever we, he, uh, yeah, we, they the yeah we definitely did see that as well. Um, manager wasn't happy. Heckin bottom, Sheffield United at the end of the game. But Gaz, in a nutshell, you weren't happy with the overall refereeing in this game either. Um, quick, Quickly tell us, your thoughts on what you saw from a Spurs and Sheffield United point of view as well. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, that is without shadow of a doubt the most frustrating game I'd seen all season. I know there's only six games in, but that was from a game management point from the referee, that was shocking. And I've actually written the guy's name down just so I don't forget. Peter Banks. Please never manage <laughs> please never ref a, a bloody another game at Spurs because that was brutal. Um so, yeah, just to look, get top of the game, Spurs, yeah, you know, we dominated the game. 7% possession, 28 shots, 15 corners, blah, blah, blah. Um, all that stuff. Uh, there's 13 yellow cards there, guys. One red. But, yeah, there's only 27 fouls. So, 13 <laughs> yellow cards and 27 wow. fouls. And a red, okay. 15 minutes of injury time, right, or added time, as it's called now. Four drop balls. Four. Have you ever seen four <laughs> drop balls in a game of football in your life? Right? <laughs> right? And, and Spurs won this game. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was, honestly, I was like, this is just ridiculous. And then the ref, obviously, with the with the keeper situation was hilarious. That was another thing in itself. So keepers are supposed to have 10 seconds, like we all know, right? Until a keeper gets sent off for a second yellow for time-wasting, 
the time um, is always going to keep increasing, increasing, increasing. So I'm not surprised it was really 12 minutes. It was 15 minutes in the end. Um, but it was just brutal, a brutal game. Uh, and, I mean, credit to Sheffield United, first of all, because they made it super difficult. They had the team bus there and all that. Um, they had the driver. They had the bus driver. They had the woman selling the sandwiches, all blocking the everything, the whole thing. They had it all. But literally, then they obviously had the smash and grab, and then obviously Tottenham scored two goals in the end, which was which was deserved. But the main thing was watch. If I have to watch another game like that, I just wouldn't watch it. It was so bad. But do you not think that they got punished? I say they. The keeper got punished because of the fact of the amount of added time there was, yeah. and then they ended up conceding two goals because that happened in our game. Sam Johnston did it. There was nine minutes injury time and we scored two goals as well. So that yeah. is the punishment, do you not but think? We don't want to see that, right? We don't want to see, like, drop balls. We don't want to see, like... No. It was shocking. The balls was coming on the pitch. It was it was brutal. It was brutal. The ref had no control of that game whatsoever. And, yes, it, all it, apart from, yeah, I'm going to stop play, I'm going to stop play. But if he'd have just booked that ref, if he'd have sent the keeper off, and I know it was against Spurs, but... Literally, a keeper needs to get sent off to to be able to, you know, control the time and things like that. Because otherwise, it's just going to go on and on and on. They're using the goalkeepers now as a as a scapegoat to slow the game down. To because they know they're not going to send them off. They haven't got the balls to send a goalkeeper off for a second for for uh, for time wasted. They haven't got it. They haven't got. So, the so you've got no um, sympathy then for Heckingbottom, who was very vocal. Um, in his post-match press conference. Steve, did you see the Hecking Bottom interview? I did, yeah. I do. I saw the interview, yeah. Any sympathy for him? Um, not really, no. I think that when you're a team like Sheffield United, I, I did call it on the on the pod last Friday that, that Sheffield United would give Tottenham their hardest test this season. Um, end of day, and they, and they did, in fairness to them. They were a bit unlucky not to get anything out of the game. But... No, I don't have any sympathy for it. End of day, as a, as a club like Sheffield United, you're going to go and try and you know this is what these teams do. You know, end of day, it's been through 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 time immemorial that end, end of day teams have always gone to other bigger clubs and they've tried to waste time. Gaz is partly right. Until a keeper gets sent off, they're always going to carry on. They're going to carry on doing it. They're going to do the old thing whereby they get the throw in and they throw it to somebody else after about five or six seconds, so they end up taking it and stuff. You know, there's all the, there's all the thing they're going to stay down if they get injured. You know, or they or a pretend injury. You know, all that stuff they're going to do. And literally, this season has been better for the injury. I I disagree on the injury time thing with regards to what Gaz says. There has been eighteen goals scored. In injury time this season, in fifty games, this time last season with it, where it was two goals in the fifty games. Well, that says to me that they're doing it right. But on the other side of things, it's got to be consistent. That's because the problem, I do, isn't it? I do think there are referees who are reverting to four minutes is enough. Yeah, I agree. So, so I, I, I think that's where they're being punished. I don't want to be disrespectful. Palace got done for it. Sheffield United got done for it at the weekend. They're the two obvious ones. They both conceded goals. They both tried to waste time and it backfired. Yeah. Like we've all said, we want to keep 22 players on the pitch. To send, I'm a bit loath to send players off unless they're really taking the piss. And Gaz, you watched the game. I didn't. So maybe, maybe he did. And maybe he deserved a red. And you're right, it would stop it. But you also got to look at if teams keep conceding, as long as referees are consistent with the time they're adding on, if teams keep conceding 
five, ten minutes into injury time, they're going to stop because they're, they're, they're going to be one that's probably down to tiredness. They're switching off. And the manager is going to say, we stopped doing that because we're losing points. Yeah, it, it breaks it breaks the game and breaks the flow up as well, though. I mean, it's not I know they're adding the point, the, the, the minutes on at the end. So you are going to get the minutes, but it breaks the whole watchability of the game up. And it's just like, oh, my God, like, you know, do you want to not just let's just call it? Let's just do you want to have a little break? <laughs> do you want to have like a little break for five minutes and then we'll just add it on after 90 minutes and call it something okay. call it the third half what, what do you want to do like I mean it's just but, stupid but guys, just they're, all, they're, they're gonna they're gonna do that mate because in the day look at the money Tottenham has spent on their squad and the facilities and, and the size of the club then you look at Sheffield United they're using every tactic they can use to level it to yeah. level it up, yeah. and that's what they do. That's yeah, why I, they I want us. It's not. I know, I know you want to watch a game of football, and you want to watch Tottenham play this wonderful passing game, and all this sort. But to Sheffield United, they don't care about that, and Sheffield United fans no. don't care. If they'd have gone no. and got a point in that game, they'd have thought, "Brilliant, we've got a Job point." Done. They'd have been yeah, celebrating again next that. week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. No, I agree. I agree that way. No, no, I agree. I mean, they did. I mean. They're going to make it difficult. Trust me, I'm a Spurs fan. We under Conte, we made it difficult for City. This is how we speak, Man City, and people like that. Trust me, I know that but works. But there was never this time wasting that's going on. That like it's phenomenal now. But you know, like I said, re- re- the, the rules at the start of the season they was clamping down on time wasting across the pitch. Whether you're an outfield player or you're a goalkeeper, they were clamping down on time wasting. The bend. Uh, kicking the ball away, blah, 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 all that stuff, right? And they didn't do it. It was 13 bloody yellows, guys, right? But the keeper, he must have done it more than anybody. Like, And he didn't get he didn't get sent off. He should have been like... It's consistency like, oh. again. It's consistency. But again. the one thing I will say is, uh, and I heard this stat today when I was listening to listening to another pod, is the ball is in play at the moment for an average of 68 minutes which I think, based on the stats we were coming up with at the start of the season, it's is good. at least 10 minutes more. It's good. That's yeah. why you're getting the goals. So, I, yes, it's frustrating. It's stop-start. But after, it, as I said, I'm banging on the same drum, managers are going to start clocking on here. Wasting time is actually not going to benefit you. Yeah. Especially yeah, later in the season with your multiple competitions and stuff 68 like minutes. That. That, so fans are getting more for the buck. Yeah. You're going to see late goals. It's going to bring more excitement. So... Yeah, yeah. Look at those Spurs fans celebrating like they won the league. They called us out last year, and they look at them celebrating against Sheffield United. Look, guys. Sadly, we are out of time. It has been one hell of a discussion this week. Plenty of opinion. Just what I like to see, um, guys. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, do like and subscribe. Thanks to all the new subscribers this week, and to the ones that have commented as well. I think we've got back to everyone. It's, it's really, really appreciated. Um, we'll see you guys on Friday where we'll be discussing fixtures for the weekend ahead. Have a good one, and we'll see you on the next one.